Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with Emmy-nominated performer, producer, writer, and magician, Larry Wilson. He synthesized the communication techniques he learned from the most famous and affluent Hollywood stars he worked with in show business into a powerful training system called the Wilson Method. He's lived an extraordinary life, traveling the world, appearing on stage and on television, working with the most successful people in entertainment. And he began to see that they all had one thing in common. They were master communicators. He's got a great story full of wonderful anecdotes. Enjoy. Hey, Jill. How are you, man? I'm wonderful. How are you today? Good, good, good. Thanks. Good. Great to meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out to the show. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. I'm very excited about it, man. Me too, man. You know, on this very interesting life you've led, I want to start everything off with asking... The last three years, we went through quite a thing with COVID, and I'm curious how you survived that time period and how it's changed the way that you live your life and conduct business now. Well, um, it's a, uh, I, assume, uh, I, <laughs> I assume you'd like a, a very uh, you know, dramatic and controversial answer. Unfortunately, my life has always been so strange that... It, it wasn't nearly as hard for me as it was for everyone else. And I feel a little bit uh, guilty about that. But on the other hand, I attribute it to Wilson Method techniques of communication. Um, as soon as I saw, uh, you know, I'll tell you, uh, I'll give you something dramatic. I was trying to think of something dramatic. I, um, at that point, I was only doing a live event doing Wilson Method stuff. And so one of the things I would do, and I still do, are a two-day boot camp. And I limit it to just 10 people because it's very intensive. And like a real boot camp, as opposed to me just standing there telling you things, I actually make you do things. So we're discussing stuff, and I'm training you and teaching you, and then I'm making you get up and do them. And, you know, the point is, once you do them, they're really embedded in your brain. They start to work on your unconscious where it becomes a natural part of your everyday life. So the boot camps are very intense. And I can tell you the exact date was uh, March 19th. Uh, now I forget which year it is, whether it was 2019 or 2020. I guess it was 2019. And I had heard some talk about, oh, some people were talking about closing down businesses and some kind of pandemic. And I thought, that's weird. And I was doing this uh, boot camp in Los Angeles. And uh, three of my students at the last minute backed out said, because they were flying in from other places, and they said, we're too scared to fly. And I said, well, that's okay. You know, I mean, uh, you'll, whenever you decide you want to train, let me know, right? Um, but some of my other students who were local, you know, were a little bit braver. And then one student in particular, a woman named Teresa, was flying in from Florida, and she was totally fearless. She was like, yeah, I don't care about any of this stuff. So we trained in a 
you know, a convention hotel in a small convention room that I had used before for this kind of boot camp. And it was fantastic. But I do some things. The boot camp, like I say, is it's all day long for two days. And everything we're doing is reinforcing Wilson method techniques. stuff. So even when we break for lunch, we're still talking about things. I'm still demonstrating things. I'm still asking them. So I take them all downstairs for lunch, and the restaurant is closed. Now, I've been there many times before and done many trainings before. I said, what's up? And they said, oh, you haven't heard? Yeah, the government is closing all this stuff down. And so our restaurant is closed until further notice. I thought, wow. So we went up back upstairs. I don't know if somehow we found some food someplace. And we continued training for the two days. And as I left on that Sunday, I thought, wow, this is much more serious than I realized. And my phone suddenly was being flooded by friends of mine in the entertainment industry who, you know, had been working on television shows and films, and suddenly they were just sent home. No explanation, no idea of when they were just saying, sorry, yeah, we're, you're all being sent home. And they're so, are we being paid? No, sorry, you're not being paid. And so as I was driving away from this, I thought, wow, I better think about doing something that's online because all these friends of mine are having a very frightening and chaotic situation where it just suddenly, their revenue just stopped. And so... I on that drive, I started formulating a way to do some of the Wilson method technique. Now, it wasn't going to be as intensive. It wasn't going to be as deep as like a boot camp for two solid days, but it was something that people could do. And uh, to my uh, delight, a huge number of people jumped on and signed up for that. And I again, you know, I can't, I can't explain it. Um, I wish I had a better understanding of it, but I just somehow seamlessly moved from real life to virtual online training, and uh, it was it's it's been fantastic. Um, Right now, I'm I'm working on really trying to uh, create a whole online training um, that's much more uh, that's deeper and more um, well. Just I think that's probably the safest thing to say. It's a deeper dive for people who want to learn these techniques and be able to do them and be able to do exercises and you know. Everything that I teach is simple. If it wasn't, I wouldn't be able to do it, you know? Um, it's the craziest thing, Joe. I, I learned these techniques over almost 40 years working in the entertainment industry. Um, and I would be working with the biggest stars in the world, people who'd won Academy Awards, uh, some of them had won multiple Academy Awards. And 
I would see that they all had a common denominator, that their communication skills were just off the charts. And I thought, oh, I get it. They're able to get what they want. They're able to live the way they want, to have job opportunities, to have business relationships, personal relationships, travel, go wherever they want because of how they communicate. And I, some of them, I realized, weren't even aware of what they were doing. Some of them were just working on instinct. So I would sort of model them and see what they were doing. Others, totally conscious of what they were doing. I could ask them, you know, how did you do that? And they'd say, oh, that was really simple. And I, of course, was impressed that none of it was hard to do. It was just a matter of having a specific system. And that's what evolved into Wilson method. And so, I mean, it, it, like I say, it's, it's a crazy story. But the COVID shutdown didn't really affect me as horribly as it did most of the people I know. Um, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Oh, well, oh my. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that um, I also, you know, as soon as there was a vaccine, I was vaccinated and got a booster and all that stuff. And uh, people would still call me to do live appearances. And so I thought, well, okay. And so I would go and do these things. Now, it was interesting because sometimes it was very small. You know, someone would call and say, can you come and do this for just six people. And I'd say, sure, of course I can. Um, and uh, quite frankly, to me, it just seemed perfectly normal. Um, and sometimes I'd be in situations where I could see there was a, a wildly um, divergent level of anxiety amongst people. Some of them totally relaxed. Some of them, oh, we're on the brink of death. This is the Black Plague. And I thought, hmm, it's really interesting to see that. I didn't feel it was the Black Plague. I felt it was some kind of virus. And, you know, I mean, it's funny. I can remember, I think you're too young, Joe, to remember this. I was very young at the time, but I remember back in the days of the first Woodstock Festival. Um, I'm sure you've read about it in history books. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, the first Woodstock Festival, about, I don't know, a month or two before, there was a gigantic flu epidemic across the United States. I mean, people, you know, schools are tremendous... Uh, lack of students staying home because they're sick and businesses and people sick out. And nobody said anything about it. With Woodstock, uh, you know, 500,000 people got together, cheat by jowl. And I don't remember hearing anything about it. And so maybe I had a false sense of security. I don't know. You know, I was curious. I, I didn't want to belabor COVID too much. I really kind of wanted to scrape it. So I'm well more interested in 
where everything started for you, the seeds and how you got into this life of entertainment and teaching. How did all this begin for you? Well, uh, it's a really interesting question you're asking because if you'd asked me when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have known or I would have given you some sort of facile answer. But the more I think about it and the more I'm able to think back in my life, it obviously started when I was very, very young. I wasn't aware of that's what was going on, but I had a, I had a lovely childhood. I had two loving parents and a wonderful home life, uh, but it was a little unusual. My father was a very famous, uh, highly esteemed psychoanalyst, and he was extremely uh, accomplished and well-regarded. But I think part of the reason he was so successful at this and was so effective as a psychoanalyst is the certain limitations that he had personally. I think, looking back on it, he had difficulty connecting with people. And that might sound like, oh, that doesn't sound like a good combination for psychoanalysts. But strangely enough, it is. Because it meant that when he was treating patients, he was not emotionally invested in the outcome of what was going on. He was able to deal with them very clinically. And he was not an insensitive person. You know, he understood people's feelings. I just don't think he felt them. And I don't think he was able to connect with people. As a child, as a very young child, I knew that he loved me, but I don't think I felt like he actually saw me or heard me. Have you ever had that experience? Absolutely. No, I get it, for sure. And so I think when I was very young, I was motivated towards seeking out people who I could feel that feeling with. And I remember I had a elementary school teacher, a man named Alton Cohen, who was so great that way. I mean, so fantastic. I think about him to this day. Uh, I learned so much incredible stuff from him. He, um, you know, uh, sometimes people comment on my vocabulary. And my vocabulary, I think, is a direct result of Mr. Cohen. Because he would have this thing he did called chart work, where every Monday he would give us a list of 20 words. And you're supposed to go home, look those up, in the dictionary, this is all, of course, B.C., before computers, and uh, you're supposed to uh, write the definition of that word and then write a sentence that showed you're, you know, using the word so that it showed you really understood its meaning. And I, to this day, I attribute my vocabulary to all that chart work with him. But he was also the kind of guy who had so much uh, passion for life and teaching and all the kids loved him and we knew that he loved us. You could feel it. He, he, uh, <laughs> I tell you things that are so weird here. He, um, he would frequently nickname the kids. I remember he had, 
There was a kid in the class named Frank something, I can't remember, and there was another kid named Benjamin Stein. And he sat them next to each other just so he could do that joke. If he needed something, he'd go, Frankenstein. You two, get up here. Oh, my God, that got roars of laughter. And, you know, little things like that. He, he had me um, helping him correct papers one day in class. And um, he called me. I said, Wilson, get over here. He said, this paper here, why'd you mark this wrong? I said, well, look here. He said, they got the answer right. I said, well, no, this is not clear. Is this an R or a T? He said, oh, my God, I can't believe it. He said, you're taking points off for penmanship? What a rat you are. What? I can't believe what a rat. And, of course, all the other kids in class. He goes, go back to your seat, Rat Wilson. So, of course, he started calling me Rat Wilson. Well, years later, when he was uh, older and I was a grown-up man, I was talking, he said, gosh, I thought about that, and I thought, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say that, you know, maybe... This kid might feel weird about it. Until one time I was, uh, had a doctor's appointment and had to come in late for school. And the next morning, my mother sent a note in that said, Dear Mr. Cohen, please excuse Rat from school today. And he laughed so hard when he read that note. Um, you know, that kind of person, I never forgot. I, I can also tell you, I remember seeing The Wizard of Oz, the film, the first time, and thinking, oh, this guy, the wizard, he's able to do all these things because of the language that he uses, because he knows how to communicate. I remember, I know this sounds crazy, Joe, I remember so clearly thinking, my real father... And obviously this stuff, you know, made quite an impression on me. It's, it's strange, but my entire life. And I think that may have been what attracted me to entertainment. And I suspect people in entertainment may have responded to that as well with me. Because when they saw how eager I was to learn stuff, I never had anybody hold back anything from me. I never had anyone in entertainment <laughs> pardon me <laughs> say, uh, oh, I can't really uh, discuss that with you or I don't know what you're talking about, you know. It seemed like they were eager to share this stuff because it's also ridiculously simple stuff. Um, you know, instead of talking about this hypothetically, I should give you an example of what I mean. Um, one time I was working with uh, Timothy Hutton on a film called The Playing God that I'll bet uh, none of your listeners have seen. I think very few people saw it. Oh, I, I should just check. Are you still there, Joe? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, oh, oh, good, yeah. good, good, good. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. Um, and, uh, and so uh, at some point in the middle of what we're doing, Tim said, oh, you want to take a break and uh, get some dinner? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. This is a Friday night, and we're in Malibu. And so he drives us down to this uh, fancy steak place on the water. And, you know, it's Malibu, and it's Friday night. It's packed. I'm thinking, there's no way we're getting in here. 
And just so you understand, everybody, you know, Timothy Hutton, of course, Academy Award-winning actor, but the place was filled with Academy Award-winning actors, not like he was going to stand out as something special. And he went up and said something to the woman who was taking people's names and stuff, and then came back to me and sort of gestured, and they took us and seated us immediately. And I said, okay, you're going to have to break that down. Tell me what went. I said, did you give her money? He said, no, 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 no. I said, what did you do? He said, I made direct eye contact with her. And I empathized with her. I said, oh, this must be very difficult for you when the place is slammed like this. And he said she looked up like I was the first person who had made any kind of comment about her and what her experience was. But clearly, another way of describing this, he didn't say this, but I interpreted it to mean she understood that he saw her, really saw her, and what she was going through. And he said, you know, um, you know, this is must be really challenging. And she said, yeah, yeah. And he said, well, he said, you know, we, we would love to get a table for two, but I realize it may be, take forever. And because he was polite and because he looked at her, made eye contact with her and empathized with her situation, she just said, come this way, and suddenly slipped us in ahead of all these people. And I thought, wow. And I thought, well, maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe that's just a fluke or something. But that was maybe 15 years ago that I had that experience with him. I can tell you last week I was driving in uh, Northern California on some back roads along the Sierra Nevada. And I was not paying attention, and I was exceeding the speed limit, not by a lot, but maybe five or ten miles an hour. And I got pulled over by a CHB. And as I saw the guy walking towards my car, I thought, what does this guy want out of this interaction? I thought, well, he certainly wants to feel safe because there's so many crazy people out there. So I put my hands on the steering wheel and spread my fingers so that he could see them. This is broad daylight during the day. And I thought, he also probably is tired of people being sassy with him or giving him an excuse or lying to him. I thought, this guy wants to be respected. So he comes up to the window and he has, I sees my fingers spread there and he says, uh, says, hi, uh, do you know what the speed limit is here? And I said, I must confess, I don't. And he said, it's 45. And I said, okay. I said, how fast was I going? He said, you're going 55. And I said, oh, gosh. I said, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. And he said, can I see your license? And I said, yep. It's in my wallet, in my pocket, but I hadn't moved my hands. And I said, it's right down here. And he said, oh. Okay, thanks.
And I went very slowly and got it in hand. He said, can I see your registration? I sort of indicated with my head, it's in the glove box over here. I have to lean over and take off my seatbelt. So I did it, and he went back. And I didn't try to give him an excuse, and I didn't try to pawn it off, and I didn't try to challenge him on whether his radar gun was really... And he came back and he said, you know, um, it's really important that you obey the speed limit. And I said, I understand. I said, I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. And he just waved me on without writing me up. And I thought, oh, that's the same stuff as Timothy Hutton. It's looking directly into someone's eyes so that they see you see them and thinking about what they want out of this communication. Because most of us, are, of course, are focused on what we want out of it. And it's interesting, you know, Joe, uh, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've seen things like this. People, of course, talk about sometimes, oh, they meet some famous person and they're, you know, it's a very exciting and singular experience for them. But a lot of times, one of the things they comment on is how the person looked directly at them and made eye contact with them. And this is such a simple thing to do. I guess as Shakespeare says, the eyes are the window to the soul. But it's astonishing how... Um, that has fallen by the wayside in this uh, current era we find ourselves in. And I, I get it. If you're on your phone most of the time, if you're texting most of the time, you aren't making eye contact with anyone. And I'm sure you've had this experience of being someplace and trying to address them and trying to talk to them, and they don't look at you. Well, that eye contact, that carries some serious weight with it. So much so that sometimes people can't bear to maintain it. If you look directly at them, they'll look away because it's powerful. It's just one of a million different little tiny things. You know, it's funny. We're doing this on technology. We're doing this podcast. It's so strange, you know, you mentioned before about the pandemic. One of the things, of course, that came out of the pandemic was Zoom. And Zoom brought with it a whole series of its own problems, not the least of which were it's really hard for people to look directly into the camera. The camera feels like a unblinking cyclops. You know, and unconsciously, we feel we're being judged by that unblinking eye. And it makes it hard for us to maintain eye contact with that camera. If you look at people on Zoom in meetings or just friends doing stuff, you'll see how much they flinch. They make all these tiny micro movements of turning their head away and averting their eyes. They can't bear it. It's something worth practicing because it makes you 
almost impossible to ignore when you do it. Um, that's one of these qualities that I saw in all these superstars. Uh, even ones who you might think of as being shy, they still, when they spoke to you, they would look up and look directly at you. That's pretty fascinating. So I want to follow that up with this. Yeah. Um, and, and I totally get the power of that. Um, <laughs> you know, in this life that you've led, there's, and, and I'm sure you have a million stories of being around famous people and being in extraordinary situations that most people won't ever be in. What is it that you're the proudest of? When you look at your body of work and what you've done and what you've accomplished, what are you the proudest of? Well, again, I'm, I'm going to give you a really sappy answer. Um, I know what you're asking me, and I'll try to answer, but really what I'm the most proud of, I have a 17-year-old son and a wife, and those are the two things I'm the most proud of. Um, the wife has to put up with me somehow, so I feel like that's less my work. But the son, I really am very, very proud of investing so much of my time and life into his well-being. And, and of course, you know, I never talked to him specifically about these Wilson Method techniques, but he obviously saw me doing them because... You know, all the time I'll have this experience. Someone will come up to me later and say, I met your kid. And this is like when he's like nine or ten. They'll say, I met your kid earlier. And I'll say, oh. They said, yeah. It was the weirdest thing. He shook my hand and he looked directly at me while he was talking to me. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do when you talk to him. He goes, I don't know any ten-year-olds who shake hands or look. I said, well, I guess... He must have seen me doing that, you know? But I would see this again and again and again. And, you know, he saw the power of what that brings. So um, I know that's not what you... You're asking for something much more glamorous. Um, I feel... This is going to sound like I'm like false modesty, but I don't mean it as false modesty. I mean to give you an accurate idea of what it feels like to be me. All the things that I've experienced, and you're right, I realize, um, hanging out late at night in the star suite at Harris Tahoe, many, many nights with Sammy Davis Jr., um, talking with him about his life and his career, I realize that's an unusual and rare experience. Um, meeting people like Cary Grant uh, and talking with him. People like Anne Margaret. Um, you know, I'll tell you, let's see here, this is just a side note, but I can't help but think of it. Um, I'm sure you remember Anne Margaret from... Uh, well, from a million films, um, but I guess she's most well-known from uh, Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. Then, you know, she co-stars with Elvis in Viva Las Vegas. Um, the only time I've ever seen Elvis kind of uh, upstaged, when the camera's on, the two of them together, you can't look at him. You're kind of captivated by her. She was so nice. 
and could not have been sweeter, more down-to-earth, more ordinary. When I worked with her, it was after she had had a terrible accident. She'd been, uh, it's funny I mentioned Tahoe, she'd been at uh, the Sahara Tahoe, and then, uh, during the show had fallen off a platform about 15 feet onto her face and uh, terrible, terrible injuries and had to be life flighted out of there, all sort of stuff. They had to piece her face. And this is, a, you know, a beautiful, gorgeous woman that had to reassemble her face like a jigsaw puzzle. And, uh, and I had heard these stories that her makeup artist, George Masters, had invented special makeup for her to try and correct, you know, they didn't have advanced cosmetic surgery the way they do now. And, um, I'd heard these stories. I didn't think anything of it. But at some point when I was working with her, um, I'd heard somebody else said, oh, there's going to be a party upstairs, and, you know, Anne Margaret wants to make sure that you know you're invited. She wants you to. And I said, oh, thank you, thank you, yeah. And then her husband, Roger Smith, came by and said, you know, we're having a party Uh and Margaret wanted to make sure I, I let you know. I said, yeah, somebody already knows. I said, thank you, thank you. So then there's a knock at the door, and there's Anne Margaret in jeans and a sweatshirt, her hair up in a towel, not a bit of makeup on her face. And I see this dreadful scar starting in her hairline, going diagonally through her eyebrow, across the bridge of her nose, and then down to her other cheek. And all I could think about was, I'm so touched that this person feels comfortable enough with me to let me see them like this. And that lesson has never left me. I thought that lesson of being self-effacing Everyone thinks, oh, well, I've got to be like Beyonce and, you know, never let anyone see me looking less than perfect. Well, I don't know about that. All I know is we don't really connect with you if you're always perfect. But when you show us your authentic self as a real human being with flaws and damage and scars and all that, we fall in love with you because we understand what that means. It doesn't have to be spoken or explained. We understand that you're saying, I don't want to present a false front to you. And I remember that moment with Anne Margaret thinking, oh, well, this woman has me in her hip pocket for the rest of time. I'll do anything, I'll follow her anywhere, <coughs> pardon me, I'll serve her in any way I can because that really is something valuable to me. Um, but more to your actual question, you're asking the question of the work I've done. I would have to say, this is odd because I've never really thought about it. I don't think about my life that way. I just, it all seems like exciting stuff that's an ongoing continuum of exciting things. But in 2005, I produced and 
starred in a live show for Harrow's in Reno, Nevada. It was a, um, a show I'd created for them. It was a psychedelic reimagining of Alice in Wonderland. And it was called Wonderland. And the whole theatrical conceit of it was that Alice is not really a major character as far as I'm concerned. She was just sort of a poser who went and came back and made the whole story about her. But that Wonderland was really a metaphor for the 1960s. And so we built the whole show on classic rock and roll, like the Rolling Stones and the Doors and the Who and Jimi Hendrix and Bob Dylan. And all the crazy things in the story of Alice's trip to the Looking Glass, we made with illusionary effects on stage. And it was a gigantic success. I mean, the first big... Uh, Harris had been struggling for quite a few years um, because there were fewer and fewer of those kinds of stars like Sammy Davis Jr. Um, or the Smothers Brothers, people like that. They just weren't touring the way and many of them had passed away. So they hadn't had a hit show in quite a few years. So this was the first one that they'd had. We We ran a year with that show and... It was a fantastic experience. I had a cast of 15 with me. Um, there were all these dancers, and um, and it was just a funny, funny experience. But again, for me, I, I sometimes talk about in Wilson Method three C's, and those are to connect, communicate, and create. I want you to be able to connect with other people before you've said a word so that you can communicate your message and create authentic bonds with the people you're communicating with. My experience has been that when you take the time, make the effort to create authentic connections with people, they last forever. These people never forget you. I know because there's people who've done it with me. Well, I mentioned you, Alden Cohen, before. Not a day goes by, I don't think, of this guy. But in the same way, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, you talked to me 15 years ago, you took time out to answer this question I had about this. And I may not even remember, but they do. And that's uh, powerful. That's some powerful stuff. That's what I felt with Wonderland. That every night we would come out after the show and uh, the whole cast would come out to meet people and talk to them. And we were mobbed every night. And it was it was not because people wanted to ask us for autographs or so. I mean, of course, everyone wants photos taken, but they clearly felt connected with us and wanted to hang out. I mean, they, they wanted to continue the experience. And, of course, that's kind of what my goal is with all of the Wilson Method stuff I do is 
You know, it's funny, Joe. I'm uh, I'm an Emmy-nominated, uh, award-winning magician, comedy magician. I was voted Comedy Magician of the Year. And that's, uh, of course, enormously flattering. It's very gratifying to have people recognize you that way. But I realize that my skill, yes, I'm a comedy magician, but I feel like what I'm really doing, I'm just employing those communication techniques. There's so many magicians I know I'm good friends with who are 10 times the magician I am, 100 times the magician I am. But they don't have my communication skills. And so frequently they don't connect as strong with an audience. And of course, like I told you earlier in this podcast, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have realized that. It's only thinking about it more. And the more I work on Wilson Method, the more I have to deconstruct things and examine them. So I go, what is this? And how does this work? And why is this so strong? I didn't realize at the moment that I saw Anne Margaret with no makeup on, uh, why it had such a powerful impact on me. I didn't know at the time. I felt really strongly I was welded to this person now. I was a... It's funny, I was talking about my vocabulary before. Uh, the word that comes to mind is a myrmidon, which is a loyal warrior who will follow you into battle without question. And I, at the time, I didn't know why. I just knew that I felt that way. But as I have time to examine these things and really deconstruct the process, I realize, oh, that's what's going on. It is the process of being self-effacing that has such a powerful impact on us. Man, Larry, this has been wonderful. I, you, have, you have taken so many things that I wanted to ask you and compressed it in such wonderful, vivid ways and a montage of good story. I really want everyone out there to, to kind of feel the slice of you because that's, there's so much that goes into you. But I want to make sure that I cover where is the best place for anyone out there to get their mind wrapped more around your method, anything revolving around your world, where's the best place for them to go? Well, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate that. Um, they can always go to my website. Uh, I hesitated because I just had a thought, Joe. All right, I'll tell you the website first, and then I'll tell you my thoughts. Uh, the, my, my website is thewilsonmethod.com, and you can learn all kinds of stuff there. And I think there's a bunch of uh, free stuff there. Um, and, of course, uh, I have a podcast of my own called How to Talk to Humans. And it's more of, you know, what we're, you and I have been talking about here. And it's uh, practical instruction. Some of it is explaining where it came from, some explaining how to do it. But let's do something special for your people, Joe. Um I'm going to have my IT guy put up a special page. If your people uh, are interested in learning more about Wilson Method, 
if they go to thewilsonmethod.com slash Joe, J-O-E, I'm going to have some uh, very special stuff there uh, for them. And uh, if they're interested in uh, learning, uh, actually pursuing Wilson Method training online, I'm going to put a phenomenally, absurdly insane discount uh, on that. Because if they come, no one's going to come to that page unless they listen to this broadcast here. So if they go to thewilsonmethod.com slash Joe, there'll be some uh, very impressive stuff there. And, uh, you know, I would love to uh, meet all of them. I would love to serve in any way I can. Uh, I've said this before. I wonder sometimes if maybe I should keep it secret, but I feel many times like I get more out of the training when I'm training other people than anyone because the process of working with people and seeing the light bulb go off over their head and then, of course, seeing them employ these techniques, they're so easy to do, anyone can do them, and they work that it's it's really for people who want their life to be in HD rather than in standard death. You know, if there's things that have just slightly been out of your reach, my feeling is everything worth having in this life begins with communication. And the good news is Everything I teach is technique, you know? Um, if you had to be talented to do it, I couldn't do it. And I also don't know how to teach anyone to be talented. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows how to do that. But technique is duplicatable. It's replicatable. It's like learning to make a pizza. It's like learning to hit a tennis serve. It's like learning... Uh, you know, uh, make a quilt. Anything that involves technique is transferable. Anyone can learn it. And the more you practice it, the better you get. You know? I mean, Tiger Woods tells these stories of him from when he's like three years old. His father has him bouncing a golf ball on a golf ball. Well, you spend your whole life doing that, yeah, you're going to become the greatest golfer in the world. It's not really surprising to anyone. It's just a question of what your commitment is. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah, you hit it on the head. This was so revelatory. Larry, thank you for opening up your book a little bit. You're you're an amazing person, and, and I appreciate your story. Well, thank you, Mena. I, uh, I love your podcast, the ones I've heard. And uh, I think you're doing a great job. Really great. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Mm-hmm.